In a world where people disagree, two guys disagree about stuff. <laughs> I love it. All right, Trevor, how you doing, man? Doing doing pretty good. I'm I'm a little bit furious at the uh, whoever did Skype's audio settings. I think we should put aside our differences and march on them. All right, sounds good. I'm all about a a social cause that I can rally behind. Right. That that brings us to our our topic, I think, of mob action against major corporations. Yeah, it does. So, as I'm sure all of you have heard by now, Reddit versus Wall Street happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we had a bunch of retail investors part of a Reddit group. Um, I think they're also a Discord group, and they got banned from Discord as a result of their <laughs> shenanigans. But um, they were called Wall Street Bets, and they had noticed that a bunch of hedge funds, one in particular, had large short positions in GameStop stock, thinking that it would go down. And so these guys decided, hey, why don't we artificially drive up the price of this stock, make sure they can't buy anything, drive the price up so when they have to go back to the marketplace to buy a stock and return it to their broker, it's exponentially higher than it was even a few days prior. And I'm sure, uh, you know, just like Michael, I totally knew what short selling a stock was before, like, <laughs> I read about it in the article about this. Yeah. Yes. All of those Instagram explanations were very helpful. <laughs> a lot of charts, a lot of, a lot of pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it worked to an extent, right? Until you have all of these retail investor platforms such as Robinhood, I think Merrill Lynch, a few others <laughs> decided, hey, all you small day traders who are trying to do this and screw over our friends, you can't buy any more stock. And so right. all these retail traders are prevented from buying. It sends the country into an outrage. And there's now an SEC investigation underway. At least so yeah. I've heard. Hmm. They, yeah, they sort of, uh, they turned off the valve, didn't they? They, they made it so they couldn't they couldn't keep trading, right? Couldn't keep trading in GameStop. So they could, but only one way. So oh, okay. they could they could sell their stock, but they could no longer buy it. And right. so they stopped the mechanism that was being used to drive up the price, which is what made everybody mad. Yeah. Now, we were talking about this uh, in the pre-episode episode, which, which none of you will ever hear. It's very exclusive. But... Uh, Yes, until yeah, I, until know, we go mainstream and we put it behind a paywall like everybody else, right? Hey, there's an idea. Perfect. You gotta monetize. Gotta hustle. Not, yeah. not yet. We were talking about this and uh, we were we were at a, an impasse here because for some reason Michael hates the stock market. He's a he's a strange conservative. Yeah, I I am a little bit. And we can go into this another time more in depth. But I, I don't. I don't think that the stock market is real, right? I, I think that's actually one of the things that was highlighted through all of this. And I think that that's actually somewhat a good thing. Stocks aren't real. You don't actually have a say in how the company is run other than having a very minuscule say in who sits on the board of directors. 
you don't generate a lot of cash flow because the average dividend payment for an S&P 500 company is like 1.5%, if that. So you're not making money. You are just hoping and praying that the value of your stock goes up and then you can sell. That's literally all you're doing. It's not real investment, in my opinion. But again, conversation may be for another day. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I think you said that it was a little bit like gambling. Those are your words, yeah? Yeah, it is a gamble. It's just like it's like the Super Bowl, you know. I guess when this when this launches, it will be the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah. We'll see what happens there. But if you're betting on that game, you have no control over the outcome of that game. You're just saying what you think will happen. Right. So we were gonna we were gonna talk about this uh, as our subject, but I couldn't find a position to the left of Michael, so. It didn't work out. Well, well, that's not true. We we could find them. They just weren't <laughs> <Okay>. very interesting. <laughs> we're we're getting into the nitty gritty of taxes, and right. and again, a conversation that's definitely worth having. But we need to find something that brings you in as an audience, truly captivates right. your imagination, and gets you on one side or another, throwing rocks at either Trevor or I, metaphorically speaking, right. of course. We need to polarize our audience, get them to click. Using the emotion of, of rage. Yes, just like all of our, <laughs> our good friends that got us doing this in the first place. <laughs> Learn from Zuckerberg. Yeah, but I mean, from my perspective, there actually are a few things in this Reddit versus Wall Street game that I think could be bad. While I was watching it, first of all, I was highly amused. I was on yeah. the side of all of these retail traders, and I'm thinking, oh, this is so hilarious. Because, again, I think that this game is made up. And so if you're making right. money in the real world off of something that is made up, that's there's not a lot of value in that, right? And so yeah. I, I was actually thinking to myself, yeah, you go, guys. You go. You get them. Um, <laughs> is there a downside to this? I don't know if there's a downside. But I did find some potential downside. Number one is there's some sort of legislation or regulation that is brought out that blatantly favors the big guys in this scenario. Worst case scenario, this is going totally crazy, but retail traders are no longer allowed. Yeah. Legislation of that vein where it just clearly you're looking after the hedge funds and the big money interests. Right. The second something one to protect them, yeah. Yeah, and the second one is is something that you actually brought up. So I'll, I'll let you kind of take the reins and make me stop talking. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Yeah, that they might uh, come out with some kind of legislation like, oh, totally. We're, you know, putting Wall Street back in its place. And then it turns out it's not. Yeah, it's doing something to put a handle on this kind of Wall Street bets, mass mob action in the stock market. Yeah. 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 And, and something that you that you had uh, brought up that I thought was really good is, you know, comparing it to legalizing drugs or the, the dynamic there, which is, you know, if, if drugs are legal, you kind of have a handle and an understanding of where everything is. Turns out that drug addiction is actually lower in countries that have legalized drugs, which is interesting, versus yeah. here in the United States where everything's illegal, it's a, it's a criminal offense right. um, to possess, let alone distribute. And we have all of these 
all this addiction, you have this underground market, you have a bunch of trafficking, you create you create the very thing that you are trying yeah. to destroy. You just don't know where it is. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And then here's here's the one that actually concerned me. And and here's where again, this this is me fighting monsters that might not be there. But I'm really nervous about the precedent that this might set in the future to where people use morality and feelings in their investment decisions as opposed to rationality. And why that could potentially be a problem is, say there is a company that is taking a moral stand on a divisive issue, and that moral stand happens to be unpopular. The market will literally destroy that company. We, I mean, we talked a little bit about boycotts. Um, and again, I don't know the feasibility of something like this, but potentially having a company ruined or destroyed by stock price manipulation, changing who's in charge of the decision-making, you know, for who yeah. sits on that board of directors. It seems like you were you were showing a general concern for uh, just this kind of mob rule, maybe, kind of as applied to the stock market, what that could mean in things that aren't just uh, aren't just these Wall Street companies. What company is going to get hit next? That kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of mob rule anyway. That's that's why, sure. for example, I'm in favor of the electoral college. Or <laughs> we did it. <laughs> We did it. We did it. We were trying so hard. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> no, it's it's why it's why I'm not a huge fan of just an absolute democracy. It's why I'm grateful we're a republic and not an actual democracy because the 51% can't just totally take over, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We're talking about it then. Okay. Got into the uh, electoral college. Okay. So. Yeah, the Electoral College is interesting for me. I think, as far as I can tell, you know, I you know most most of the people I know on the left. Of course, I know most people on the left. We all know each other, but uh, I, I think most people are <laughs> are against the Electoral College and in favor of a popular vote for president. And then I hear um, a lot of Republicans are pro Electoral College. And, you know, I, I hear some arguments. I've never been able to uh, get my mind around exactly what the argument was for the Electoral College in its current state. I think I, I got the uh, the original argument. Maybe I don't agree with it, but this idea that, okay, we need a buffer. You know, we elect these people and they're better educated and whatever, and then they select. So, you know, we're not just directly electing the guy. But as it is now, I, I don't, I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, so I, from my understanding and, and what I've come to gather is, number one, the Electoral College as it is, like you pointed out, as it is today, it's not how it was originally. So originally, there was no popular vote for president at all. What happened is the states sent yeah. delegates to vote for who the president was. So it was state appointed. So your governor was the one in charge of sending delegates to go and hash out who the next president of the United States should be. 
And then over time, things changed. <laughs> and now right. all you history buffs out there, please correct we'll, we'll me if that is wrong. <laughs> because that is my understanding of how things were. Um, that's how things were. And the reason why things were that way, like you said, so there's a little bit of a buffer. There have been so many elections here recently that were, you know, 51, 49, yeah. or 48, 45, whatever the numbers are, to where the margin is so small. When we talk about voter suppression or we talk about rigging results of elections, the reason we're even having those conversations sure. is because the margins are small enough to it's where people think, it's oh, yeah, like that could have made a difference. 10% of the vote or something. Right. So I, I think that it's I think that it is a big deal that we do have an electoral college for that reason is if we're 51 to 49 or we're 50.5 to 49.5, whatever the margin is, I don't want chaos in the streets. And if it is that yeah. razor thin and if you take a candidate, say Donald Trump sure. ran against somebody who is equally polarizing but on the other side. We saw the Capitol building get stormed by a small group of people. If people saw Joe Biden as a threat or they saw him as an extremist or he was some populist leader that people on the left were just literally flocking to. Seemed, yeah. I think that could have been a really dangerous situation. So is your is your thought then that the Electoral College makes it seem like the mandate is more exaggerated? It's not just like, okay, we're counting down to the wire, it's one vote, something like that. A little bit. And I mean, the, the argument that I think a lot of conservatives make as well is that the direction of the country should not be dictated by people who live in a very select number of cities. New York... Chicago, Los sure. Angeles. I just named three cities, and that's like 45 million people. And those areas tend to be super left, right? Or at least more so than most of the rest of the populace. And that tends to be the case for all cities. And so if people continue to migrate towards these cities, and these cities just inherently tend to be more progressive. And, yeah. I mean, we talk about flyover America, you know, or middle America that still holds on to conservative values. Say that you are a religious person, for example, and you're in a fairly religious community, and then you go somewhere where it's completely faithless. You know, when in Rome do as the Romans do. I think that that kind of, that kind of a dynamic exists in America today where if you move okay. to a city that is progressive, you are going to become more progressive. <laughs> right. Unless you're just super far to the right, and then you become <laughs> even more radicalized just because you're like, ah. <laughs> okay, so if, I, if I'm grasping, yeah, you're talking about, you're saying that without the electoral college, certain areas, certain climates, basically, you know, this... The city, whatever, Los Angeles, New York, is going to be overrepresented. And then that city in and of itself has its own way of life, its own experiences that are going to influence the way people think. And so maybe then there wouldn't be as much of a diversity of perspectives, something like that. 
I mean, here here's reality. The city yeah. of Los Angeles, or at least metropo- uh, the metropolitan area, has about 13 million people in the L.A. metro. How many states... <laughs> A lot. If we looked up how many states have fewer than 13 okay. million residents. I, I think I can, I can see that a bit. Uh, you know, you wouldn't want, yeah, you wouldn't want this overemphasis on this, uh, on a certain place, on a certain way of living. I guess, I guess for me, part of the, part of my trouble with the electoral college is the arbitrary mm-hmm. nature of the states. Uh, because I feel, I feel that when the United States was started it was something like, okay, look, we could go our own way and we need to have, you know, the Senate. We need to have this kind of state power in order to get these states to, you know, come together. And almost as if they were different countries, like the European Union. In the European Union, a country is going to have more political weight than a region mm-hmm. of people within a country that has, you know, the same amount of people, I, I think, you know. I, I think that, sorry, it's a, a bit of a tangent, but basically what I'm saying is if, if we were a bunch of countries that spoke different languages, I feel like I would, I would get it. If it was like, okay, you know, uh, we've got to represent the interests of, you know, the Netherlands and, you know, Luxembourg or whatever, you know, some kind of, some kind of culture that's contained within these borders. I guess what I don't understand about the the states the states being represented as such you know like for instance if you're in wyoming you know your vote has some has some weight i think that maybe uh i I can't remember the statistic but basically you've got you've got a bit of you get a more representation as far as senators you get quite a bit more you got two senators california's got two senators okay so basically the idea is what is wyoming you know what I mean, like, why does Wyoming yeah. have to be represented so much? And if it was about uh, rural versus urban, I think maybe I would understand more. But okay, for instance, what about the rural areas of uh, California? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, what, do, what do you think? I, I don't know. I think that my preference, yeah, is so. It's so out there. And by that, I mean, not a lot of people are even familiar with the system. So there's there's some education that would need to take place, number one. Number two, after that education takes place, you then have to hash out whether or not everyone thinks it's a good idea. Not only for the presidential election, but for all elections, my preference is single vote transfers or single transfer vote. It's like a ranked choice, but the way that it's done there, there's still an element of overrepresentation of smaller states or smaller districts just because right, of the way the numbers can work. And, and we can, <laughs> right. again, another episode. Look at all these episodes we're coming up with today. But basically what that system does is it decreases the number of districts yeah. but increases the number of representatives per district. And so this, it does a couple of things. Number one, yeah. we, we talk about sometimes marginalized communities um, not having enough representation and things that matter. In theory, this 
mitigates those differences. You know, it it makes it yeah. so people are more represented by people who this represent. This is something their like proportional rep, isn't it? This is something like they might have in a parliamentary system, something similar, yeah. Uh, something similar, sure. Um, it's not quite the same. Um, I it, my the short answer is electoral college. Am I in favor of of that option over? the alternatives that have been proposed, which is my understanding, just popular vote. Oh yeah, I absolutely prefer electoral college over that, but it's not yeah. my favorite option. There are other solutions that are out there that maybe we haven't found it. Maybe maybe it's out there and I just haven't heard of it before. But So if I'm getting it, you're, what you're saying is you like some element of this... Uh, this requirement, the electoral college sort of requiring a candidate to appeal to different areas, different different regions, different uh, different places, as opposed to just concentrating on a few population centers, whatever their interests might be. But maybe uh, you're not so attached to the system as it is now, but not really in favor of just a pure popular vote. Yeah, or or I mean the other thing. Right. That, I mean, you could also just go back to the way things were and, you know, all of us citizens, we don't yeah. have a direct say in who gets elected as president. You know, just, I just don't, again, I want to avoid mob rule. I don't want, sure. if I'm part of yeah. the 49%, I don't want to go in a complete 180 from from my interests, you know? Because, I mean, it's like, What? Two million votes, sure. four million votes, whatever that amount yeah. is, that's what's deciding yeah, total, between sort of total flip of the way that North Pole are, versus yeah. South Pole or East versus West. Like it just it seems crazy to me. Let let me shut up for a while, uh, but first ask you this. Um, a popular or do you first believe that a popular vote is what's best? I think uh I just feel that, you know, on one hand, I see the argument of we want to have this kind of representation. And I think what you were talking about, uh, something more like proportional rep, you know, where minority parties can get seats in Congress, for instance, things like that. I, I am in favor of that. I, I like that. But I, I don't know. I think just the way it's set up now, I don't. I, I guess I just don't feel like I see that happening so much as I, I see or I see that the degree to which that is happening, to which we're getting more representation of more areas and perspectives and, you know, balancing that with with the majority, I think is being, I, I don't know, canceled out by some things I see as very arbitrary. You know, like the president only wants to go to these states on his uh, or his or her election campaign. You know, why are these states so, you know, why is Florida so important? I mean, yeah. it's unusual, sure, but important. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Florida. But uh, I don't know if anyone I, I from know. Florida <laughs> listens to us yet. So I think you're safe for now. <laughs> when they do, they're not going to be pleased. But yeah, I, I don't know. Sometimes I see things like that. You know, if it would, if it really was like you know, rural America, urban America, I, I could kind of see that. 
And I could even weirdly, I could kind of see, you know, some weird buffer between the, you know, unwashed masses or something <laughs> like some, some, uh, you know, the original one. I, I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for that. I, not really, but, uh, <laughs> I just, I, I just don't see it. Some things are just weird to me. These swing states are so important when, why are they more important than, than anywhere else? I, I don't get it. I, I don't know. Okay. So I, I've actually heard this a few times and I think this is what you're getting at. Let, let me see if I understand you right. So people care about the swing states so much because it's winner take all for a state's electoral college votes. And so candidates are incentivized not to go to states where viewpoints and ideologies might be different, extremely different. And you're not going to states that you feel that you have in the bag. You're going to states where you think, hmm, if I don't campaign here, I might lose. Or if I campaign here really hard, I might win. The areas that I would contend are being somewhat marginalized just because of the the population density of a particular state. They're being overlooked anyway. Yeah. And so, yeah, and yeah, so having the electoral college actually isn't protecting the people that I think need to be protected. Is that, yeah. is yeah, that, that's that, yeah. Okay. Honestly, I, I don't know what to say about it. And I don't, I don't know what the fix is because where, I mean, frankly, I do see a lot of, I do see a lot of reason and I see, I see the point that's being made. And I think it's good. And that's the only reason I'm not like, mm, electoral college all day, every day. <laughs> right? That's that's why I feel that mm, this is an imperfect system. Maybe yeah. there's something else that would be better. But I... Yeah, maybe there is. Yeah, but I, again, I, I just can't... I can't let go of... There are places or there are population centers and in our country our population centers tend to be more progressive, right? Sure. If you look if you look at the 50 biggest cities in the United States, I bet I bet 45 of them lean heavily democratic, heavily. Yeah. Um and I don't think that everybody who votes democrat in those cities voted democrat before they moved to those cities. Like, and, and it's probably that way, the other way around as well. Yeah. But my feeling is not quite to the degree. So these population centers are having a huge influence on how people are voting. And so these cities, because it's winner take all in these states, have so much power. Mm. And... The only way to balance it out, in my opinion, at least that's not right. Better way to say it is what balances that out is having states that have low populations being overrepresented. Yeah, you know, I I, I can see it. I I think uh, I I can kind of understand. I think in a way, there's no doubting. On one hand, people do self-sort to a degree you know people Mm -hmm. 
will move out of California because they're conservative. They don't they don't want to be around the 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 woke stuff anymore. Sure. Or, or whatever. But and vice versa, people move to the cities because you know they don't like the small town they grew up in. You know they don't they want to they want to be somewhere more. I, I don't know, progressive. But I do think that there it's it's not. I don't think you're wrong in saying that the environment in which you live, the way in which you live, influences how you think, and and it does. I think living in a city makes you progressive. I think, in a sense, because uh, the Democratic Party, well, Democratic Party now, but whatever, the, the, that party is uh, is the party of the urban people, and, and the Republican is sort of the rural party. You know, so I think that, yeah, living in a city changes your values. It changes how you think. I think living in a country, living out in a, living in a country, we live in a society. <laughs> living, living out in a in the country changes how you think. You, you were talking earlier about uh, somebody who is, you know, part of a church has a lot of support. I really think that a, a big part of the social safety net argument comes from these different experiences. Where you know, I live. If you live in a small town, you know your neighbors. You you feel integrated. You're like, why does the government have to come in and intervene when I could just go to my church? I could just go to you know my family, whatever. As opposed to a city where you're, you know, this anonymous, what, a, <laughs> this speck in an ocean that no one cares about. Yeah. You know, you're just, in, in that situation, I think when you live in the city, you think, oh my gosh, somebody, the government's got to step in. Because nobody mm -hmm. knows each other. Everyone's a stranger. There's no community in a sense. Community is broken down. So, yeah. well, I, I don't know. Well, and I mean, to that point, I mean, St. George isn't the smallest of, of towns especially not now Anymore. right yeah yeah but and and part of this is just because i lived there while i was in high school and whatnot but i knew yeah. all my neighbors i knew all of them and in sure. dallas i have not met one of my neighbors no of course not yeah right so no i i, I totally agree with that you, you know i think that uh and we talked about this a little bit earlier when we were talking about the gerrymandering thing. And and I thought that the point that you brought up of maybe it's not enough to have, say, an independent commission draw up the boundaries. Maybe the boundaries can't be made in a way that is fair. And maybe we need to change the way that we do uh, elections. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to a different, I, you know, I actually, I totally agree with that. So I think we do have some areas where we, uh, where we agree here. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, is this right? I haven't convinced you that the Electoral College is good. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> not not yet. Okay. Well, that's, that's fair because I haven't completely convinced myself <laughs> either. But I, I, I can also say that I still don't feel like popular vote is a good direction or at least a direction that I feel good about. So maybe maybe we can do this. Let's maybe do some homework. Put a pin in this conversation, as they like to say, and yeah. uh, and pick it up another time and see if there's maybe uh, maybe another solution that we can get behind. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Tune in next week to hear two guys disagree about more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good.
good. All right, you take care, man. Bye.